0: presence here this
1: morning. God, we thank you that you would have the praises of your people. We thank you that you're a close God, not some far God out in the universe somewhere, but you're right here.
0: Good morning. Pastor Terry and I are going to be tag teaming this lesson today, and we are starting a series on discipleship as you just watched an incredible video about what the church should be about. And so, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing a series on discipleship. This is the first week, and we're going to be laying a lot of the groundwork as we move forward on discipleship. So we're going to be laying a lot of the foundation. We're going to be going back and looking at what a disciple actually was, what they did, and also looking at the historical context of that. And then we're going to bring to light some scriptures you've probably heard a hundred times, but after you hear some history of that, it's going to hopefully come a little bit more alive to you about discipleship. So we're tag teaming this together. It's going to be more of a laid-back message kind of us conversating back and forth and also having some interaction from you guys.
1: Yes, in the last probably four months, as Casey's talking about tag teaming, we've been working a lot together. I mean, 10 to 12 hours a day working together, Um, and and it's been so intense that, um, and I mentioned this I think at one of our meetings, that um, I had a dream, and this dream entailed myself sitting with my wife, and we were holding hands. It was just a beautiful time. And then I looked over at her face, and it was Casey's face with my wife's body. (laughs) So... So, I and, don't see the problem. I don't know why it's <laughs> that dream. But. So it's been pretty crazy, but um, the Lord has been gracious to us as we've been going forward.
0: And we've put this message together. It's quite a task to put a message together anyway, seeking God and understanding what he wants us to share with the congregation. We did this one together, and that was a very different experience for both of us. We actually have a picture of us working together. Someone came and shot in my office. Um, this is Terry working on my computer, my my keyboard's only like this big anyways. And so people joked about just getting us two chairs next to each other in the office. But there was a lot of tag teaming and stuff going into this message. So we hope um, that you really are encouraged by today and that you hope, uh, hope you enjoy it. So would you pl- please pray with me as we jump into this morning's text? God, we do pray for today. May you Put the words in my mouth and Terry's mouth that you want us to say. God, we want to be obedient to you and your word. God, you've done everything for us. God, we are broken and in need of you. God, may you speak through us this morning. May we glorify you and you alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Okay. Let's see. How many of you cringe at the thought of public speaking? Raise your hands. Okay, a few of you. Good. You guys can identify with me right now because, in reality, I would rather probably be going skydiving, dealing with my fear of heights, and actually doing what I'm doing at this moment.
0: And one thing with this is we've been preparing this message. I don't know if I was done, but... It's okay. This is us working together. It's like, uh, I won't go there. Um, We've been preparing this message, and... He's been saying in his message he would rather be facing his fears of other things than facing this fear. And that actually came to light yesterday. We received like an anonymous phone call saying, hey, you guys up for an adventure? And we're like, "Uh, I don't know. We're, We're working things. We have things going on. He's like, well, I ordered you tickets, you and Terry tickets, and they're pretty much already paid for. You have to do it. So I told Terry a little bit about it and what it was and that it's already paid for. We can't back out. And so this is a short video of him facing a fear yesterday. And so God is really um, saying, all right, you said you'd rather be doing this. So let's see it.
1: I think... I think we need some context here. Um, is is Sergey in the audience? Oh, Sergey, can you stand up, please? Thank you, Sergey, for having me do that. By the way, um, Sergey in his mind thought, you know, I think I want to get up this morning and fly over the ocean, and he found this, and then. Wayne Rose is really good friends with Sergey. So Wayne Rose is like, hey, we got two pastors that, as I was fasting and praying for this message, he's like, oh, they're probably not doing anything, so they could probably help out and and do this with us. And you got to understand. Casey is adventuresome. He's like a survivalist. And then Sergey is like adventuresome to the, fact, to the point of if it's like life-threatening, then he's excited about it. And adventuresome for me is like I go to Starbucks and I get a medium cup of coffee, and adventuresome is like getting a latte instead of a, a medium cup of coffee. So, so this has been just really a stretching time. God's like, okay, I'm going to put all your fears in one weekend, and we're going to deal with them all. So you don't have to worry about them anymore. So... Yeah. So, um, however, however, okay, I'll move on task here. I went a little bit far off. But um, the fact is, my fear of those things are not near. I'm much more passionate about us being a church that glorifies God. And, and I want us, as a church, as we are trying to love the Lord, and we want to love you guys, that far surpasses my little petty fears of public speaking flying over the water, and everything else that goes along with it. Um, And as I'm going this direction, a few weeks ago, Pastor Casey just preached a great message on Acts 2. And you guys, I'm sure, remember he had the stands up here. It was just a phenomenal, concrete message that I won't forget. And And it talked about the establishment of the early church. And when we think about the early church, they were focused. And what they were focused on is glorifying God. And when we have that type of focus as a church, glorifying God, we see in the first century church what happened. They stood on the authority of Scripture. They took the Word of God serious. They prayed fervently. And they were dedicated to one another in community. They truly loved one another. And then we have this beautiful passage in Acts two forty-seven, And it says, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let me read it. Let me... Say that again to you guys. And it says in Acts 2.47, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And I wonder if we realize it is the Lord who adds to his church. He loves his people. He loves his church more than we do. And I think sometimes we forget that. He's the one that draws people to himself. He's the one that does the work through us. So as we start this message on discipleship and what we're supposed to doing as a church, we want to sort of dig into what it really looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ.
0: And last week, for those of you who were here, Dr. Sullivan came and, and preached, and I have some notes here. One thing that he talked about, and he didn't know we were doing this series next week, is he said that we have to have the audacity to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and that a church, our church, is going to either rise or fall on the process or lack thereof, the process of making disciples. And so he talked about the extreme importance of what does it actually mean to be a church that is making disciples of Jesus Christ. So that's why we're in this series, and we're going to give you some concrete evidence and, and some ways that you as our church members and family can learn how to be a better disciple and also how to disciple others effectively. Because many times you're like, I want to do this, I don't know how to do it. So we're going to ask some questions this morning and then give some answers. One of those is, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? It's a word we throw around in church, but we don't use it in our everyday language. And so to answer this question, we're going to turn over to Matthew chapter 4. So if everyone could turn your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to be digging in there. Now, one thing important to note here on Matthew chapter 4 is there's a lot of history and context that we need to dig into before we just jump into Matthew chapter 4. And so, some of those is just language issues, language barriers. We say the word Christian or believers, we, ne- we don't really use the word disciple too much. And in the New Testament, the word Christian is only mentioned three times throughout the whole New Testament. Three times. The word believer is only mentioned twice. That's not the name they went by to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What they went by was disciple. The word disciple was mentioned 269 times, it was referenced in the New Testament alone. So, disciple is actually what we should call ourselves. But we can't call ourselves a disciple of Jesus Christ unless we are actually doing what disciples did. So we're going to look at their life, what disciples actually did. That's why at our church we have a mission statement that says we exist, one, as Terry already talked about, to glorify God. That's our purpose. And as a result of that, we will make disciples of Jesus Christ among all people. That is our purpose, why we exist, why we do what we do.
1: And as we think about discipleship, it seems that many people I talk to do not have a real clear picture of what it means to be a disciple or even really what discipleship is at all. And if I asked you guys, what does a disciple look like, what would you tell me? Because the reality is many churches are confused about discipleship. And I think we need to make sure we understand what a disciple is and how to live out being disciples in the church because we're supposed to be making disciples, right? And the way we do that is, I think, a great way we would start is by going back to the first century, going back to Jesus' time, the Jewish culture, and looking back at how they made disciples. Because I think what happens is, if we don't understand the context of discipleship making from the first century, we lose the depth and the perspective of how to make disciples today. So we're going to go back and look and see what a disciple looked like in Jesus' day.
0: And I promise we're going to get to Matthew chapter 4, but we want to give that history as Terry just spoke about. Because when you understand the history of that, it's going to bring to light Matthew 4 in an incredible way. First service, they came up to us and said, I've never heard this history before. And when you told us this, it made Matthew chapter 4 a completely different thing than I've ever heard before. So this is that information. There were three educational schooling systems back in the first century. The Jewish people went through three different ones. The first one was called Bet Sefer. And so Bet Sefer was started at age six years old. So at age six was your first day of school. So you have your stuff ready. You have your little (coughs) pad of paper, which would really be a slate that you write with chalk. Can you imagine that? You write a sentence, you erase it. Write a sentence, you erase it. And so it would be great for homework. I already wrote that a hundred times. You could just do whatever you wanted to do. teacher would never know. Um, But you come to school, you have this slate, you're ready to go, and you go to the synagogue, you go to the church. That was their school. And they went to study and learn and understand the Torah. Does anyone know what the Torah is? Torah, there's a couple of hands. Torah is the first Five books of the Bible. So you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They not only studied these books, but they memorized the books, H 6 through 12. In six-year span, they memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. When they got to school, they would meet the most well-respected man of the city, the rabbi of the city, the man of God of the city, And they would come up with a slate tablet and he would put honey on the tablet. And as they tasted this honey, he would open up the ancient Torah scrolls and he would read Psalms 19.10 to them. And it says this, They are much more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. They, meaning the scriptures, the Torah. So, Honey was the sweetest thing they had. That was like the best candy you could have. And when the child was tasting this, they were thinking, the scripture is better than this. The scripture is sweeter than this. And so they began to study that. And for six years, they did that. This was mandatory schooling for everybody. Everybody went through this, boys and girls all the way up. And at the conclusion of this, at age 12, there was a bar mitzvah our mitzvah still happen today in the Jewish culture. At age 12, it represents coming into the community, becoming a man in the community. And at that age, at 12, you started learning the trade of your father, your family. And so if your father did fishing and was a fisherman, you would be a fisherman. And if your dad worked in carpentry, you would be a carpenter. And so That is what they did. And so if they they did shepherding, they learned to be a shepherd. And so this was a very important event that happened, and everybody went through it. So that was the first educational schooling system called Bet Sefer. The
1: second is this. The second is this. The next educational phase is the Bet Midrash. And this would be the boys from ages 13 to 15. So the majority of the people got cut at this, this phase, and the next few, the best of the best, made it to this next phase called the Bet Midrash, where, they, as you guys already heard, they memorized the Torah, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And Casey, do you have all Genesis memorized? Most Working of it? it? Okay, good. So, yeah. So, in this phase, they actually went on and memorized the Tenek. Does anybody know what the Tenek is? The Tenek would be the Torah... It would also be the prophets, and it would also be the writings. So that's the whole Old Testament. And they had it, guess what, memorized. And it wasn't like they just memorized the books, that Genesis, Exodus. They memorized every word in the books. So it was pretty intense to get... Through this phase, and as I'm thinking about memorization, it seems like a lost discipline in our in our in our church culture today. And I think we really got to get back to memorizing the Word of God. You know, as we as I was amazed and last week, as Dr. Sullivan was sitting here and he had his Bible like this, but he actually never looked at it once as he quoted like chapters of the Bible. That's what we need to be as a church. We need to be memorizing the word of God and hiding it far down in our hearts because there's many times that we're going to come across a situation that we don't have a Bible in our hand and we need to actually be able to give the person that we're talking to some truth. So we need to do that. One other side note um, as we look at the second phase, the Bet Midrash phase of education the disciples probably not, didn't even make it to this phase. They probably were cut after the first phase. So it's pretty crazy to think what God did and what Jesus did with his disciples.
0: So the Bet Sefer went from age 6 to 12. The Bet Midrash, as Terry just explained, went from ages 12 or 13 to 15. That was a three-year intense time of memorizing the rest of the Word of God. And one thing that... Terry just talked about was memorization. You know, God's word says, I have hidden your word in my heart, not only to tell it to people, but so that I may not sin against you. Mm-hmm. One reason we hide God's word in our heart is so that we learn not to sin against God mm-hmm. because we have his word in us and it's his word and his word alone that transforms us. Amen. So that's one reason why we have to do that. So this third educational leg, which is the final one, the best of the best of the best are the ones who made it here. And even if you were the best of the best of the best, that didn't even mean you were assured into this. And it was called the Bet-Tal-Mud. The Bet-Tal-Mud. And this was the longest in duration. This wasn't just like a master's degree. This wasn't even a doctor's degree where you write your doctorate. This was a 15-year period of time where all you did was study. All you did was come alongside a rabbi. And you had to be invited into it. And so if you have some best of the best... The rabbi would have to come and say, I want you to follow me, and you can become my Talmudim. That's what they were called, Talmudim, or Talmid for singular, and that actually represents disciple. That's where the word came from, disciple. It was a rabbi, and they would call somebody and say, come follow me, and this person would want to so emulate this rabbi that for 15 years, they would dedicate their lives to becoming just like them. They even did it so much to where they would walk in the same footprints as their rabbi. They would wear the same type of clothes as their rabbi. They desired to emulate him in all of his mannerisms. So what time he went to bed, what he had for breakfast, even to the point of the order he ate his food in. Okay? Extreme, extreme dedication to wanting to become just like their rabbi. And we see that God started his ministry as in Jesus Christ the same way as this rabbi. At age 12, he finished the first educational schooling system. We see him sitting in the temple and he's having religious conversations with religious people. His parents had left him and it looks like he was disobedient, but he actually was a man at the time because he entered into their culture and now he was of himself, his own accord. He didn't answer to anybody else. And then... We see at age 30, he started his earthly ministry. And we see him in Matthew chapter 4 begin to call people among himself, just like a rabbi would have done. He selected those people to come to himself. And it's important to realize that they probably didn't make the cut. And so Talmud stands for disciple exactly what we're supposed to be today so terry's going to jump into Matthew 4 for us
1: all right so if you have your bibles let's turn to Matthew 4:18 through 20 And it says this, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him.
0: Now as I grew up hearing this verse of, oh, you know, call fishers of men, I'm going to send you out, and it's all about evangelism and all these things. Listen... Jesus came, and before you know the history of this, you you just think, why would these guys follow him? They dropped everything. Let's go through this. It says, Jesus walking along, he saw two men. They were casting their net into the lake. Why is that important? Why did God put it in there? Well, it says they were what? Church, they were? Fishermen. Why does it say they were fishermen? Because they took up their family trade. Everybody had a desire to become the rabbi. That was like the top goal, okay? So they had a desire to become a rabbi, but they they weren't. Otherwise, they still would have been in school or they would have been a rabbi. But here, they were fishing. It wasn't casual fishing like this is a hobby because if you're becoming a disciple of someone, you don't have time for fishing, all right? You have time to go study and memorize things to follow them. So here they are fishing, and then Jesus says, Come, follow me. What was that? An invitation. It was an invitation to come and be a Talmudim of Jesus Christ. There was a rabbi, and he invited them to come follow me. Now, to these men, they had already been looked over multiple times from everybody. They probably only made it to the first educational schooling system that ended at 12 years old. They didn't have any other schooling after that. And then Jesus came along. They didn't even go through Bet Midrash or Bet Talmud. And then Jesus came along to the broken people who were just fishermen and said, Hey, I want you to be a disciple of me, a rabbi. Hmm. And they began to follow him. And they didn't even know at that moment he was the son of God. So I want you to understand how big of a deal it is to be a disciple. Because not only are we just following a man, we are following the God. We are following Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior and that's what it means to be a disciple. So we need to understand they dropped everything. One more important thing, it says verse 20 and if you don't know the history you don't get this until you do. At once they left their nets. What, what did their nets represent? Their life. It represented everything. That is how they earned an income. So when they left their nets, they left their job, their security, financial security. They had a house, a mortgage. They had, you know, maybe not an electric bill, but they had to pay food and all these things. And they left it immediately to follow him. So church, we need to understand it's not just about being a believer. It's not just about being a Christian. We are called to be
1: disciples of Jesus Christ. And as we now have some depth and and gravity to understand what it means to truly be a disciple, the next question, the third question is, how would you describe a disciple of Jesus Christ? How would you describe a disciple of Jesus Christ? And the first word that comes to mind to me is devoted. I mean these guys were totally devoted. When you decide to follow Christ, you were devoted to Christ. And the passage I want to look at is Matthew 6:24. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew 6:24 which would be about a few pages from where you're at. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And now that you understand the gravity, the intensity of what it meant to be a disciple, you lived, you ate, you did everything to be a disciple. So this would totally make sense in Jesus' day. And they would understand this. Um, and this passage isn't saying we can't have hobbies or interest, but what it is saying at the end of the day, there's one thing that drives our life. And it's going to either be Jesus Christ, or in this passage, money, but in other passages, other things, right? So we have to understand that perspective. And the reason why the Bible mentions that it's either Christ that drives our life or other things is because the Bible teaches that we have this heart that easily gets distracted and, and interested in other things and it goes all over the place. And I don't know if we realize that. I don't know if we understand that even as Christians we have hearts that go astray often. We get focused on other things. I don't know how, how where we're at with that but the reality is if we look at Jeremiah 17, 9 it says this. The heart, do you guys know this passage by the way? I know a lot of people in my class know this. The heart is deceitful, Above all things and beyond cure, who can understand it, right? So the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, who can understand it? So that's the perspective we're hearing here. And I have a sort of an embarrassing example to share with you in my own life, where my own heart was revealed. Um, About eight months ago, which my wife can attest to this, um, I was looking for an antique mantel clock. And um, I was studying, researching, trying to figure out what would be the best antique mantel clock to go in my office. And I was just on eBay at night trying to figure out which would be the best one, looking at all these different ones. And it got so bad that my son, Lukey, at that point was about two years old. And he was looking at his children's books, and every time he came across the clock, he would say, Daddy's antique clock. And I'm thinking, how does he know that? I mean, before he was always talking about God and the Bible, now he's talking about Daddy's antique clock. And um, so my, my son's first words were, Mommy, Daddy, Bible, God, antique clock. Okay, okay, that's really an exaggeration, so I'm j- that's not really the case. But what I realized at that point is I was obsessed I felt like I could not have true joy and happiness until I got that antique clock. And that's how crazy and and elusive our heart is where instantly we're we're worshiping the Lord. And the next thing we're focused on, whether it's our children solely or it's our jobs or whatnot. And we can get so distracted from the right things.
0: And every day in my office, which is right by his, I get to hear this antique clock.
1: He's just jealous, I think. Nine
0: o'clock. It rings nine times, 10 o'clock. My favorite is noon, where it just goes on and on and on. I, I and try to
1: call him into my office when it's getting yeah, ready to dong, but yeah. he misses it often. Or he
0: calls he so. puts it on speakerphone, and then I hear it while I'm working, so
1: it's fantastic. Okay, so, so my question to you guys is, what are you devoted to? What am I devoted to? What is Casey devoted to? Because it's easy for a lot of us. I'm not going to really say it's easy for me to get up here and talk like this. But for a lot of us, it is. But it's another thing to truly live it out in front of our children, and in front of our spouse, in front of our coworkers, right? So that's where we want to think about. And I have this great quote by Oswald Sanders that says, A disciple is one who is a learner or a pupil who accepts the teachings of Christ, not only in belief, but also in lifestyle. Let me... Read it one more time to you guys, by Oswald Sanders. A disciple is one who is a learner or pupil who accepts the teachings of Christ, not only in belief, but also in lifestyle. So a question we need to ask ourselves is, well, what does my lifestyle look like? What are you
0: spending all your time doing? What are you thinking about when you wake up? I mean, a devoted disciple of Christ lives his or her life in such a way to Christ in practical ways. So it's gonna come out in your marriage. How are you treating your spouse, right? It's gonna come out in, if you're a teen and you live in a home or a child, how are you treating your parents? I mean, are you a follower of Jesus Christ and submitting to him in all of his ways and thus submitting to your parents in all of their ways? How are you at your job? I mean, do your coworkers know that you are a follower of Christ? And I'm not saying you've got to go with a big sign, you know, on I'm a Christian follower of Jesus Christ and, and hitting people over the head with a Bible. But when we live spirit-filled lives, God will use us and change us. And also people will know the difference when they're around us.
1: So a disciple is first devoted. But secondly, the disciple is passionate. And what is a disciple enthusiastic and passionate about? The short answer... God's glory. They recognize that life is not about them. They recognize that they are here for a much larger, grander story, God's story. They're not here to glorify themselves. They're here to glorify God. And the passage that we would go to for this is, again, 1 Corinthians 10.31, which, again, if you're in my class, this is a verse we go through all the time, right? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Again, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all to the glory of God. That means we should be filtering our lives through what glorifies God? And if you think about it here, he talks about the mundane moments of life. He's talking about eating and drinking. He's talking to me when I'm sitting with my wife and my children. Am I eating and drinking to God's glory at that moment? Because often I think we get this perspective that it's just in these these big things that God wants us to do. Our big missions but in reality, he wants us to be glorifying him every moment of the day. And if we're doing it every moment of the day, we'll be prepared for the big moments. Because we've been doing it in the little moments, right? So it's important for us to be doing that as followers of Christ. And one,
0: one thing, if I can jump in. Last week, for those who joined our marriage class, one thing that we talked about in there, and Paul David Tripp, who's kind of leading our class through the DVD study, is he said, we live 99% of the time in the mundane moments of life. Right? We do the same thing Mondays, the same thing Tuesdays, for the most part. You get up, you go to work, you have your day, you have lunch at your work, you talk with your coworkers, you come home, you, you spend time with the family, or you eat dinner together, or whatever it is. Most of the time, those are mundane moments. And we think we're not really serving God in those moments, but we could be. We mm-hmm. could be glorifying God, and glorifying God in a small moment is just as big as glorifying God in a big moment, because God, there is no such thing as small and big right? He has everything. And to glorify Him in a relationship versus buying a house or getting married, those are things that will just come as we are disciples of Christ. Because it's not about what we're doing. It's about what we're being. Mm -hmm. And when we be disciples of Jesus Christ, dedicated and passionate to Him, we will begin to do things for His honor and His glory naturally. So we're not talking about going and being legalistic and trying to get all these things in order in your life. No, just just be and begin to just sit and soak with God, spend time with God. And as you do that, He will do the work in you. It won't be happening to something
1: you produce. So. And I would just remind us again at the beginning of this message, we talked about Acts 2 that they were mm-hmm. focused on the right thing. And when they naturally focused on the right thing, glorifying God, it flowed through them to naturally uh, stand in the authority of Scripture and prayed fervently. with God and and real relationship with him. And then they were a real community with one another, which that's what I hope as we go forward in the family church is that we really be unified as a body as we go forward. And are you going to say something?
0: Yeah, I was going to go into um, thirdly. So we've seen that they're devoted. We've seen that they're passionate. But third, disciples of Jesus Christ, this this is encouraging, are weak and flawed. Because everything we've heard so far is like, I can't, I can't be that, and I can't be that, and I'm passionate, but sometimes about the wrong things. Disciples are weak and flawed because we are all weak and flawed, and God wants to use weak and flawed people. And I think he wants to use broken, weak, and flawed people because by doing so, he's going to receive the glory. See, if everything was all together then it wouldn't even matter, right? Because if for David and Goliath, for example, if he provided somebody bigger than Goliath, well, it looked like the battle was going to go that way. But instead, he used David, a little boy at the time, basically. And so we need to go through disciples are made, they're not born. And so as we look through the Old Testament, God seldom used those who appeared most likely to succeed. And I can't think of... Anybody in scripture that God said, hey, that's the guy I want because they have it all together. In fact, we always see God use the person who doesn't have it all together in scripture. Which should be encouraging to us because if you're like me, I don't have it all together either. But God says, I'm going to use who I want to use. We see he used David and Goliath, Samson and Balaam. And then also God used Pharaoh. I mean, when he used um, Moses... He's sending one person on his behalf to be his ambassador, to represent God, right? And then he picks the murderer who had committed murder a few chapters before, the shepherd guy who smells like sheep, who's probably wearing nasty clothes, and then also he has a speaking problem. That's the guy he picked to go represent him as an ambassador. But he said, you know what, I'm going to do the work in and through you, and it's not about you having it all together because you don't. And that's why I'm going to receive the glory. So that should encourage us this morning. We see in the New Testament that there is no difference. We see Peter who had like a major case of foot and mouth disease where every time he opened his mouth, he always put his foot there and he always went against things. Even though he was in the right passion, a lot of times it just came out so wrong. And we see he was the one God used on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapters 2 and 3 because of his message, God used him, and 3,000 were brought into the church. 3,000 accepted Jesus Christ that day. Moving on, we see Saul, who wasn't even looking for God. God came in and changed his heart and his life, and he became Paul. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and this is just an incredible, incredible portion of what God does in and through us. And so this is what it says, think about the circumstances of your call. The word call there, Jesus is the one who calls us. God is the one who calls us and he chose. So listen for the words call and chose as we go through this passage. Not many were wise by human standards, not many were powerful, not many were born to a privileged position, but God has chose what the world thinks foolish to shame the wise, and God chose what the world thinks weak Shame the strong. God wants to do incredible things, and it doesn't matter who He's going to use because He's going to use them, and then He's going to be glorified because of that. So, as we go, the last point that we want to discuss.
1: Say one thing. Okay, one other thing I was going to add to what He's saying. Martin Luther has this phenomenal quote, one of my favorite quotes, and He says, "Um, That God made the world out of nothing. And as long as we stay nothing, God can actually use us for something. Let me say it one more time. God made the world out of nothing, and as long as we stay nothing, God can actually use us for something. So that's just an imperative quote. As we realize that it's not about us and our gifts and abilities, but it is God working his spirit mightily through us when we're an empty vessel that can be used.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to begin to see, well, who does God call his disciples today? I mean, I've seen the history and I've seen who, who God chose then, but what does he want from me today? We've gone through this whole history and now we're bringing, how does this actually apply to us? Well, God still calls us to be his disciple. And that's the encouraging thing is the same way that Jesus called those disciples, he's still calling us broken, sinful people and saying, I want you to come follow me, and I will change your life. Listen, you don't have it all together, and I know you don't, but I do. And then Jesus is saying, come follow me. Give it all away. Come and follow me, and I will change you. And we see this reiterated, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, this is what he says. This is what Paul says. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus Christ. For those of us who are Christians in this room, disciples of Jesus Christ, are you living in such a way that you could say this? Come and follow me as I follow the example of Jesus Christ. Because not that it's about me, but it's about I'm following the one that really matters. And that is the call of discipleship. We should so be emulating Jesus Christ that we can go to anybody at any moment and say, Hey, come. Follow me in my marriage, because I'm doing it the way Jesus has called me to do it. Hey, come follow me in my business because I'm doing it the way He would do it. Hey, come follow me in how I love other people. Come follow me in my example. This is just a generic thing to anyone. Come follow me, and this is a huge, huge task and burden, but we can do it through Him, and He wants to do that. So, you can keep going. Oh, you're giving me like the sign my wife does, like. I was doing that. Um, You never know, all right? Philippians 3.17 says, Join with others in my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Church, I recently spoke on Acts chapter 2, and I truly believe that God has more in store for us here at the family church. I truly believe that. He wants to do something incredible through you because you are the ones who make up the church. And I believe that. And he doesn't want us to settle... For mediocre Christianity. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not a call to easy believism. I just read a story last night. Maybe some of you have heard some things going on in Pakistan. There were a hundred Christian homes that were just burned to the ground. All of their belongings gone. Their cars are destroyed. They had to flee from persecution. And we need to ask ourselves, how did The people know which homes were Christians' homes and not. I mean, do they have Christian written on the side of their house? They were being disciples of Jesus Christ, living in such a way that people said, that house there is a Christian. I know it. I know they are. And I know that house is. And the reason this all came about is because some of the teachings of a Christian at the age of 28 came out that was against their prophet Muhammad, who said, no, he's not the only way. Jesus Christ is the only way. To have forgiveness of your sins where you can enter into a relationship and spend eternity in heaven. That went against them and now a hundred homes are destroyed. And many times we sit in church and we're a couple minutes past when people normally get out. I understand and recognize that. And it even showed in the video. We look at our watch like I'm, I got places to go, things to do. We came to hear from God. Okay. And a hundred homes are destroyed in another part of the world for Christians who believe what we believe and we're worried about going to lunch sometimes. We have to be disciples of Jesus Christ if that's what we're called to be. And so I hope we understand the extreme gravity of the situation. Hmm.
1: So as we close, we need to ask ourselves a few, few questions here. Are we a church filled with disciples and are we passionate about making disciples or are we more like a country club who comes just for a Sunday show? I mean, that's a a real question that I would ask because we really need to be passionate about Jesus Christ. My next question would be, are we truly devoted? Are we even truly devoted to Christ? Are we passionate about living for God? It's something we need to ponder as Christians. And then finally, I would ask this question. This is more like a counseling question. um, But I would ask, um, if I asked your spouse or your best friend, what you're devoted to, what would they tell me? Would they tell me things like sports? Would they tell me things like, man, yeah, I love the Pistons, I love football. I'm amazed how passionate we are about sports and how unpassionate we are about Christ. And it's not just sports. I could say numerous things. Um, but in reality, our hearts are grabbing after anything to find some type of instant sort of happiness instead of the real happiness we found, find in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So we need to make sure we are a church who are discipleship makers and we're doing it all for the glory of God.
0: Well, if the worship team could, could join us here on stage as we come to a close there's probably two two types of people in this audience today. The Bible says there are only two types of people in this world, those who have submitted themselves to Jesus Christ and those who have not. Those who are true followers of Jesus Christ and those who have not done so. And I'm sure there's one group here today who who is thinking, I'm not even sure if I believe in God. I was just invited by a friend this morning and I'm not even sure if Jesus was real. Or maybe you're kind of agnostic, you're trying to figure it out. I believe there's a God, but I don't know for sure if I can know who it is. Listen, I'm here to tell you, God does exist. Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life, and died for you in your sins. Because the Bible says, and it should be something that weighs on our heart, and I remember the first time I felt the Spirit talking to me saying, Casey, you are a sinner. You've sinned against me, and you've done wrong, and we're all on that same boat. We've all done wrong. If you've ever lied, stolen, cheated, dishonored your parents, put something in front of God that shouldn't have been there, you are standing in opposition to God. And God says that He has to, because He is so good, punish those who do wrong. It's because He's a good God, He has to do those things. So if we have those things, God says, I don't want you to have to be punished and spend eternity in hell. I did something so that doesn't have to happen to you. That's why he sent his son. His son died. And now we can, because of his death, participate in his resurrection. You can be forgiven of all your sins. So as we pray in just a moment, if that's you and you're not sure, all you need to do is say, God, I need you. Come inside of me. Help me to love you. I want to get rid of the sin and I want to live for you. That's the call that he's still calling today. For those of you in this place who you are, a disciple of Jesus Christ, your life may not look like it. You need to spend some time saying, God, I believe in you and I've trusted in you, but I don't know if I look exactly like what the Bible says a disciple should look like. This message is for us too, okay? We don't have it all together either. And so during this time, for those of us who have trusted in Christ, we need to say, God, help me to be a Talmudim of you. Help me to be a follower of you. Help me to submit everything to you he owns it all let's give it back to him
1: so as we close i'm going to give everyone just 30 seconds to just sort of sit and soak and everything that's been said i know some of these things have been pretty heavy and and pretty i don't want to say confrontational but weighty weighty things to really chew on so i'm going to give you guys about 30 seconds and then i'm going to end us in prayer but just go to the lord and talk to him about discipleship and where you're at as a disciple or even if you're a disciple at all so let's just bow right now and and spend some time with the lord Father we come before you as a family recognizing we are dysfunctional in a lot of ways we realize that we struggle in our daily lives at times we struggle in our church community at times father and we confess that to you that we are dysfunctional often a mess and we need your grace and we need you to change us for your glory And often we put on these airs that we have it all together and we're doing so great. But in reality, when we're laying in bed and we're just sort of trying to think through what we're living for, it's often not you. So, Father, we confess that to you. Father, I ask that you be with everybody in in the congregation and, and be with all of us, Father, and help us to depend on you, to recognize we are nothing without you, recognize we have the wrong focus if it's not on you. Help us to be a church that makes disciples and truly glorifies you. We recognize there's a lot of people in here that aren't probably even Christian, Father, and we ask that you draw them to your side. We don't want to uh, do any type of gimmicks or entertainment to get them here, Father. We know we need your spirit to draw them and change their hearts. At the same time, Father, we ask that you continue to change those of us who are your disciples because we recognize we are still broken and we are being changed and transformed for your glory and honor, and we thank you for that. Father, we give you all the praise and honor today for what has been said. We love you and praise you through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.